This podcast contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to We're Not Over Six Feet Under, the podcast where we talk about the aughts most morose TV show about a Gen Xer in a funeral home and mortality, episode by episode, spoiler free. I'm your host, Jenna Shearer. I'm a writer, editor, and pop culture critic. And I'm your other host, Caroline McGraw. I'm a playwright and screenwriter. This week, we'd like to welcome our producer, Allison Cherry, to the other side of the microphone. Woo! In addition to producing this show, Allison has published nine novels for kids and teens, including For Real, The Classy Crooks Club, and Look Both Ways, which won the Bisexual Book Award in 2017. No buy erasure here. No buy erasure. (laughs) Allison is also a book editor and professional photographer and spent many years as a lighting designer for theater, opera, and dance productions. Welcome, Allison. Thanks, you guys. Yay, Allison. We're very happy to have you on mic with us yes, yes. i'm always in this room but yes you can't, you <laughs> can't the, usually hear me in our hearts yes. in our behind everything we do um can you tell us a little bit about your relationship to the television series six feet under i certainly can um like another one of our guests the first episode of the show that i saw was the finale such a trend that is crazy i know it's really strange but my roommate watched it when it was airing right so i was just in the room when she was watching it and she was weeping copiously and i was confused (laughs) (laughs) and then i watched the show for real in 2006 which is the year after it went off the air I watched it actually for catharsis purposes because someone very dear to me died in 2006 and it was one of those things where you're like, I can't cry about what's actually happening, so let's yeah. cry about some fictional characters and it was very useful in that way. Well, that's great. Oh, that's great. Um, Sorry to bring it down. No, it's okay. <laughs> no. Well, and this is a mellower episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. As, as we say, we're going to get into it. I know. This week, we're talking about the season one finale, Knock Knock. We made it through a whole season, you guys, uh, which originally aired on August 19th, 2001, the same day as episode 12. This episode was written and directed by Mr. Alan Ball. He's talented. I think this is a really well-directed episode. I think so, too. It's interesting. I have been more attuned to the visuals the more I've watched the show. And to see Alan, because this is the first episode Alan Ball's directed since the pilot. Since the pilot, yeah. And it's really interesting to see what he does directing-wise versus, like, say, Kathy Bates, who's very, like, close Mm -hmm. on the face. Look at all the face. And Alan Ball is very, like, wide, high shots, like, Mm. almost like he's looking at people through a microscope. Oh, wow. I feel like Alan Ball's a little bit more sentimental than some of the other directors. Yeah, I think that's true. So in this first scene, we're on a golf course. Matt Gillardi is back. I hate it. I did remember that he wasn't the one who died, but every time I just hope that he's going to be the one who dies. <laughs> I knew we couldn't be that lucky in this episode, <laughs> and I'm glad that American treasure Julie White also did not die. Yes. Um, we are introduced to a new character played by said American treasure, Miss Julie White. She is playing a character named Mitzi Dalton Huntley. That's a mouthful. Her accent is also a mouthful. Yes. yes. That is her real voice, I think. So Missy Dalton Huntley is Matt Gillardi's boss. 
uh, at Kroner. Uh, Kroner is back, baby. <laughs> it's here. Ugh, this throws my conspiracy theory out the window. Um, but, oh, uh, that, that Matt Gillardi was fired from yes. Kroner. So Mitzi is playing golf. She's telling Matt that he has to get himself into gear because Kroner's not doing well financially. And maybe because they spent a bunch of money on like a futuristic hellscape. And on like hiring arsonists, I guess. Mitzi being the like human representation of capitalism says that growth is the only thing that's acceptable. Because capitalism metastasizes like a tumor. And he has to get three more homes for her. That is what is required of him. Yes. In the LA area. So we get a little bit of a a death fake out because Mitzi gets... Classic Alan Ball move. Classic Alan Ball. She gets a little gas or something from eating escargot at lunch. Well, because you think that she's going to get a heart attack. Like you're like, oh, this is one of those like, you know, women get heart attacks differently kind of moments. Mitzi is not having a heart attack. And the ball that she hits with her golf stick goes ahead and hits a lady with a lovely dog. Lillian Grace Montrose. Where have we heard that name Montrose before? Where have we heard it? Lillian Grace Montrose, 1939 to 2001. So Nate is sitting around a table. He's taking the funeral director licensing exam again. Again, yeah. He gets a page on his pager. There's so much 2001 technology oh, in this episode. Yes. I wrote that down as the well. fax oh, drama. Oh, the faxes. Oh. The beeps. I guess you can't put a beeper on vibrate, right? You can. Can you? Okay. Nate's not a doctor, so he definitely could have put it on vibrate. I had a pager in high school. When I was a freshman in high school, my pager went off in class, and I pretended it was my Tamagotchi. <laughs> This is so of like a very like like one year like one year of history could yeah. that have been possible? I it's, love it. It's wonderful. So he gets this page. It's a page from Brenda being like, "I need you." In the next scene, the doorbell is ringing repeatedly at Fisher and Sons, and David goes to answer it, and it's Tracy Montrose Blair. She's back. Yep, she's back, and she is like much more competent than she's been in the rest of the show. I wrote down she's actually someplace for a good reason for the first time ever. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, she should be there. She needs to arrange a funeral. So Lillian was Tracy's aunt. It turns out that Tracy, which we did not know before, is a party planner. I immediately liked her better when I saw her do her funeral planning routine on the phone where she's like, cheery peppy, I'm going to get what I want. And then puts down the phone and is like eye rolling. It's like, all right, well, that's Me done. too. Yeah, she seems great. I think in this episode, she's written almost completely differently than she's been written before. But I like her better. She's more self-aware than yeah. she's ever been. I think that's right. But I also think that it's something that this show does really well, where you kind of like see a person and then you, as you learn more about them, they sort of like... Th- like I feel like we see her the way that David sees her mm-hmm. and then we start to see her through other people's eyes. I mean obviously through David and but like we get to see her interact with people who aren't when it isn't just her being like so thirsty for David. Yeah. Yes. And she becomes more of a whole person. She becomes yeah. a person. I love that when David is doing intake with her, she sits on the same side with him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like she's not going to be the client like she's like basically planning for herself. David looks like he wants to crawl into a hole and die for this entire higher scene yes um something that i did not still care for about tracy in this scene is that she uh was casually racist again what uh, did she say she talks about the uh, a chinese bus boy was yes. was looked down her shirt and he an made event. a he made a comment about the neckline of her dress at her debut yeah 
So now we're at Brenda's house. She got that red tank top out again, you guys, just for the finale. It's just her to comfort fuck with me. tank top. I know. It's her workhorse. She's being very needy. She wants to go see Billy and she wants Nate to come with her. Yep. She's still feeling extreme levels of guilt for yes. having him institutionalized, which was the only option, really. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He tried to hurt himself and tried to hurt her. So mm-hmm. He did hurt himself. Or he did hurt himself. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And when Nate says to her later it was for his own good, she does not deny it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And then Claire and Parker are sitting in the back of Claire's hearse. Parker's clothes suck so Oh my God. Bad. It looked like she was dressed from like Charlotte Roos, the business section. Her clothes all look like they're from Express, which is not a bad thing in and of itself. That's where Brenda shops. But Parker has gone to the part of Express where there are like crazy sleeves <laughs> on like a button down. Parker continues to be an enigma to me. She's just... A lot of different things all at once. She's plot devicey. Yeah, she is very plot devicey. I wish they had a better girlfriend for Claire. I know. Claire needs to hang out with like Veronica Mars. That might be too much oil and oil <laughs> to get along. <laughs> true. Um, I don't know if Veronica would like her. That's yeah, I true. don't think so either. Yeah. I actually don't think she would either. No, Veronica's um, much smarter than Claire. Um, but Parker is having a party this weekend at her dad's sweet sweet mansion i did like the little detail that her dad is renewing his vows with her stepmom and that they do it quote unquote like every six months (laughs) i also thought that was very funny yes parker asks about gabe and calls him mr od the nicknames that teens are given each other i know on six feet under are bad yep it was interesting the way that claire was talking about gabe to parker because you could see her kind of like holding herself back because she wasn't sure whether she wanted to like praise gabe or like keep it to herself how awesome he is yeah Mm -hmm. claire also has a moment i think it's a little before this where she references parker's quote-unquote little miss perfect act what is this act? Have we ever seen this act? We have play? not seen this. I think they I think they kind of allude to it in the terrible in uh, Outward Bound episode. They yeah. do, but we've never, we have not seen it. So anyway, now we're in Brenda's cool green truck. <laughs> Usually I think the driving scenes look normal, but these driving scenes, there's like just some real green screen going on. And I also background. wrote down, ironically, because I did not remember what was coming, I was like, Brenda is not looking at the road enough. Yeah. Like, this is my pet peeve with driving scenes in every show, is that people don't look at the road enough. And comes back to bite her Lo in the ass. and behold. Well, it's, it is interesting, because I thought that too, and I didn't remember that happened either. It's very smart of him to, like, ha- have yes. this accident. But it's something yeah. where, like, we see people drive on this show and other shows all the time, and they're just, like, gesticulating and, like, looking yeah. away and not moving the steering wheel. Brenda is worried about Billy. She's worried what he's going to think about her. This is where Nate points out that like she was right to commit yeah. him because Billy. She's spiraling. Himself. She feels guilty because she knows that he's felt that people are controlling him his whole life, and she actually is doing it. And she's always wanted to like you know be the one on his side. Yeah. Um, so I think she just has a lot of feelings wrapped up in this. And I think Billy's the only person that Brenda cares whether he hates her or not like if she yes. thought that nate hated her like this i don't think she would be spiraling at all oh i have a thought about that later but yes i think you're absolutely right that brenda really only cares what billy thinks of her in the next scene ruth is working at the flower shop she's on the phone with hiram and nikolai is listening in like a creep i forgot about hiram ruth also kind of forgot about hiram <laughs> well yes, i also st- started writing down egg begley jr in my <laughs> notes and i'm just gonna call him egg begley from now on 
So Hiram wants to go out to dinner and then Nikolai is like, you need to stay late. He's all up in her face. And I feel like this beat has played out. I've like exhausted by Nikolai. Like he's so cartoonish. Yeah, Um, he really is. Like everything he does is just like, he's like, I'm so jealous. I'm going to be like, you must work tonight. It's just, it's like, it's too much. I swear to God that this has now happened in two separate episodes. Oh, for sure. Exact beat, right? I strongly dislike Nikolai. Yeah, I really don't like him. Well, this is just a love triangle where you can root. You're rooting for neither. Nikolai's a big baby. Yeah. He's so weird and immature and has terrible anger issues. He's really mercurial. Ruth, during this argument, is like, I'm at a point where my children can get along without me. And I'm like, hey, Ruth, you do have a 16-year-old daughter. Although, to be fair, she said that he's a baby and she's done dealing with babies. Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah. That's true. He is a baby. She does do some light parenting later in this episode. She does the faintest whiff of a parent. (laughs) Yes. That is true. This is also, I was thinking of you in this scene because in the scene, we do, in fact, find out what time it is, what day it is. Tell me. Because I have some questions. how much time has passed. We find out that, that Father's Day is the day after tomorrow. Which okay. Is, which is Nikolai's excuse for why Ruth has to stay late to make bouquets. I went through a real time spin later in the episode, but I love knowing, uh, I love knowing what day it is. Look, I got your under. back. I looked up on Google. Father's Day in 2001 was June 17th. <laughs> wow. That's real podcast friendship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there for you. So Nate Sr. died on Christmas. Yes. So it has now been almost exactly six months. Great. And I don't think it's an accident that they're ending this episode on Father's Day. And Nate does say to Brenda later that they've been together for six months. When she later on says, we've been together almost a year, I truly, alone, watching this episode, was like, it can't possibly have been a year. It can't. And then it gets resolved. I lost my mind. You know me. So this scene ends with Nikolai firing Ruth. It is extremely illegal, but like that's what happens. I'm proud of Ruth. Like it used to take her a while to like work up to saying what she wanted to say. Mm -hmm. And now it takes her like six seconds to go through like, maybe I shouldn't say this. No, fuck this. I'm saying what I want to say. And she correctly later calls it sexual harassment. She calls it sexual harassment. Yeah, I was going to say, she she says it the, the best way possible. So in this next scene... Oh, hell yeah, Fax is coming through. Yes. (laughs) Oh, my God. The Fax is in this episode. So we're in the basement at Fisher and Sons, and uh, Tracy is faxing some uh, requests for this funeral coming up. It's Rico's turn to look like a member of Blank 182. It's usually (laughs) Nate. Now it's Rico. So the thing that that felt weird to me about this scene and this whole episode is Rico and David's dynamic Mm -hmm. in the wake of the last episode. I have questions. Yeah. Because in this episode, they're very chummy and not what, like, I'm guessing maybe two weeks ago, Rico was being extremely homophobic at David who would come out to him. I disagree that they're being chummy. I think that Rico thinks that he can get away with a lot more now because he thinks of David as less of a man and he's trying to manipulate him. <gasps> oh. Wow. I would not have been able to articulate it in that way. I think that's right. There is, that's there interesting. Is, there is a vibe between them and that w- will come up later as well. And Rico has an if I were a partner moment in this yeah, little he scene. He brings it up I'd a go, lot. Ding dong, ding dong, ding. He's calling David Dave. Mm-hmm. which Nate does to get under his skin. Yeah. And he asks to have the party at their house, which I don't think he would have asked for. 
I guess maybe Rico's behavior makes sense. Like, that's a good point. But David's behavior doesn't. David's behavior toward Rico, considering how kind of like openly gay and proud he's being about the stuff with the church in this episode to then be like, oh, like I can be easily flattered by this guy who basically denied my existence. Saying that he still thinks of the Fishers as family Mm -hmm. is, as you say, like after what has transpired over the past few episodes is so wild to me. I thought that was pure manipulation. Oh, it absolutely Mm -hmm. was. And the thing about David, and this comes up a little later in the episode, and I don't think he's like specifically thinking about like, oh, there's going to be kids at the house or whatever. But like David is so hungry for a family that just saying the word family to him, he's like, you can do whatever you want. I don't like amazing. And I don't know if that's Rico's doing that on purpose, but it's gross. I kind of think that David's attitude toward Rico hasn't changed that much because David doesn't think Rico matters very much. Mm. Well, I don't think Rico matters very much. I'm very angry at him. Yeah, I'm, I'm st- I continue to be mad at Rico. So in the next scene, Nate and Brenda arrive at the mental hospital. Brenda doesn't want Billy to know that Nate is there. Yeah, and Billy is sitting alone in the exact center of a drama hallway. <laughs> <laughs> Are they in a hallway? I actually did have a question about where they were. It, it seems to me like Billy was like, I guess he wouldn't have known Brenda was coming, but I think he just generally lives performatively. Yeah. And I feel like he was like, where can I be alone and also beautifully lit? He looks very good. He looks gorgeous. Yeah. Alan Ball, you really did it. He's, yeah. He's, as you say, lit perfectly. Yeah. Props to the DP. Just poured into that crazy person robe. Like <laughs> he looks... His hair looks great. He looks angelic. So something that happened when I was watching this on Amazon, sometimes a fun fact will pop up. And the fun fact that popped up was that Jeremy Sisto was considered for the role of Jack Dawson in Titanic. (gasps) And I, here's the thing. I want it. I want it so bad. I just would have had a very sexual time with Titanic in high school if that had happened. A plus fun fact. So Billy is super reasonable. Which was really creepy. It's it's worse than if he had, it's worse than the cutting his own skin off to me. It is so jarring. When he finally whispered, you're so beautiful, I was like, okay, there it is. Yeah. It feels like lovers parting. It is a very charged and creepy scene. This is probably the creepiest I've found their dynamic. Yes. And it's supposed to be when everything is like, quote unquote, better. It's creepy because also Brenda's participating in it without, I think, even realizing well, how... Well, Nate's not there. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I don't think that she would have brought Nate in anyway because he's, like, you know, he would, like, rile Billy up. I yeah, get it. that'd be a trigger. I was just like, oh, no. Yeah, Billy's just... He's saying everything that he knows Brenda wants to hear. Yeah. About how he's so remorseful and he can't believe he did that and he feels like he was someone else. He also says that he must have quote unquote weird ass karma, which is very passive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, Billy never takes responsibility for his actions. True. So this is not a surprise. He literally says, I hate that my blood makes me crazy. And we've talked about this many times. And I think that something that is really interesting about Billy is that he is someone who is. A manipulative dick mm-hmm. who's also has a mental illness. Yes. His blood does not make him an asshole. No, exactly. Yes. That's the thing. The interesting thing, too, about this scene is I did have a moment where I felt a lot of empathy for Billy, like creepiness aside, where no, he's yeah. talking about how 
because he's like now heavily medicated he he can't cry yeah mm-hmm. um and i've been there like i have been on antidepressants and not able to cry ironically the way i would make myself cry is to watch episodes of six feet under <gasps> oh wow <laughs> I agree with you. I felt for him as well. I mean, this is such a strong scene because you're kind of like, oh, I kind of, I feel bad for Bill. Oh, nope. Calling her, whispering that she's beautiful. (laughs) The blocking of their hug was really interesting because it's the reverse of every other time we've seen them hug. And like Brenda usually like buries Billy's face in her shoulder and it's the opposite in this this time. Well spotted. Yeah, because he's like put himself in the role of the comforter. Yeah, he's like being very paternal for... 10 seconds until he says you're so beautiful and then it all falls apart. I mean, if he is, if that's paternal, then yikes. So we leave these people who still don't have boundaries and we drop in on Claire with uh, Nate Sr. I love when Claire and Nate Sr.'s ghost hang out so I don't think we've had, have we had them hang out yet? Not since Since the the pilot. The pilot. Yeah, yeah, they hang out in the pilot. It's so delightful. They're watching old Super 8 movies of Nate and David as kids. And she's like, why did you never take any videos of me? And her dad is basically like, well, you know, you were born later and we got bored. (laughs) This is essentially what he says. It's a little funny because she is the only girl. So you'd think that maybe there'd be like a little novelty there. But Mm -hmm. I guess they were just like, we're done. (laughs) They were too busy. I mean, they had two other kids. And Nate was, you know, Nate was rebelling (laughs) it's interesting because like with both brothers but maybe specifically with david versus claire like i think claire sees it as a burden that she is so unimportant to her family that she can do whatever she wants but that she also in that way feels like she doesn't matter and that you know what she does doesn't count for anything Mm -hmm. whereas david and to a degree nate feels this enormous responsibility yeah and this enormous pressure to carry the family and i think both of those people see their situations as a curse That's true. I don't know if you guys feel this way, but when Nate Sr. is in Claire's head, I feel like he sounds more like Claire than he sounds like David or Nate when he's in their heads. Oh, Hmm. I I don't know if I'd say that for this scene, but I totally agree with you when he's talking about Gabe Mm -hmm. and he's like, I like him. And also when he's like, get off your lazy ass. It really sounds like Claire. You're right. And it's possible that it's just because Claire has a stronger voice because she's a teen girl. Mm -hmm. But that was striking to me. No, I think that's right. Yeah. Um, Um, And she wakes up on the couch. It was a dream. And Ruth walks in and says she was fired. I got fired today. That sucks. Yes, it does. And if you want to know the truth, I believe I was a victim of sexual harassment. I also love that Ruth says, um, I have a certificate in floral arranging. I can get a job anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Literally anywhere. Wow. Learning annex. Wow. Pre pre 9-11, pre-recession. But I love that she confides in Claire like this never would have happened. And like even episode eight. Um, No, you're right. They have they have a nice moment about how men are jerks. Mm -hmm. It's really great. Yeah, I think this episode highlights a lot of different relationships that we see the growth of the relationships. Yeah, totally. From these bookends of the pilot to this, of like how Ruth and Claire have grown, how David and Nate have grown. Oh, yeah. Um, And it's... it's, How Rico has gotten just worse with everybody. (laughs) So we're back in the car with Brenda and Nate. Brenda seems extremely stressed out. Um, and she asked Nate if he's thought of getting married in a voice that uh, is terrifying. <laughs> we already know what her MO is because she's explained it to us. Yeah. When she's like, when she's scared of a relationship, she 
tanks it. Yeah. And she is like right now just dive bombing this relationship. But she's also doing some serious scrambling to figure out what's actually going to make her happy because Billy was like, I want you to be happy. And she's like, I don't know how to be happy. You're absolutely right. And all I hear when Brenda says all this shit is you better make breaking up with my brother worth it. Yes. She's basically like asking about like if he's thinking about marrying her and if and if he wants to have children oh, and he's boy. like I thought you didn't want to have children and like I feel very sympathetic for Nate in this scene cuz she is just basically like blindsiding him with like a lot of stuff. And he's a little like any other guy would have bailed right now, which I don't love. No. But I understand it. Yeah. And he also calls her on trying to sabotage the relationship. Yeah. yeah. And in the scene, I think we already kind of knew this, but we're reminded that this is the longest relationship Nate's ever been in. Right. And Brenda has only had one serious relationship and it wasn't since high school. It was with Trevor. Like so much of this season with the two of them has been like trying to figure out the parameters Mm -hmm. of the relationship and i it felt like a real like oh this is why they do this so much is because neither of them have done this before yeah and then uh, they get in a car accident yeah she's driving in the wrong lane and they are barreling toward a semi-truck and nate sees it and he grabs a steering wheel and swerves them off the road and they ram into a parked car so This is actually, this next scene is where Rico invites the party, the christening party, to the house. He also, like, compliments David on his, like, reconstruction skills, I believe, in this scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's where he calls him Dave. Yeah. And he calls him boss. Mm Mm-hmm. I want Rico to go away. I want the kids to go away. Vanessa can stay. (laughs) Yes. So. (laughs) Then there's more facts drama. Facts. I wrote down, oh, my God, another facts. Father Jack is gay. This is the sub-tweet of 2001. (laughs) There's nothing sub about this tweet. No. David's face is like, ugh. I know. (laughs) Hate to get a homophobic fax. And Rico's just like, this is for you, probably. (laughs) Um, So Brenda and Nate are in the ambulance. Nate is in a neck brace. And Brenda is in like a very intense head Brace. Yeah. She looks like she's a crate of oranges was just packed up, but it's Brenda's head. Nate is concussed, I think, because the paramedic says that he doesn't have a memory of the accident. Right. Um, and he he's asking if Brenda is dead, which yeah. is Nate's worst fear. Yeah. So next we have Hiram and Ruth at dinner at a restaurant. I forgot how much Egg Begley Jr. was in this series. I did not forget. Oh my god, Allison, talk to us. This is the only Hiram scene in this Yeah, episode. this is your moment to talk about. I know. Your, I'm super uh, happy that he's breaking up with her so we can get him out of here forever. Ruth I, is too. I know. Okay, I do have a question. He keeps saying that he met a person and he wants to pursue things with the person. Did you think it was a man? Yeah. I got the sense it was a man. Me too. Ruth uses a female pronoun. Yes. Well, Ruth would assume it was a woman. Egg mm-hmm. never does. No. I mean, he's trying to be extremely sensitive about it. And Ruth is immediately like, that sounds great. You should go explore because clearly what's happening between us isn't really a big deal. And she's like, let's order dessert. I love that. Yeah, because neither of them wants the other one if it's not forbidden. And yeah, that's yeah. very true. I love Ruth in this scene. Ruth has this ability that I don't think anybody else in this series has that I don't think anybody I know has even, which is that she is in touch with her ability to surprise herself. Like when she feels an emotion, Mm -hmm. most people would be like, oh, that's not the emotion I should be feeling. And it would like take them a while to work through it. And she's just like, oh, 
here's where I am. Great. I'm going to go with it. You're totally right. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Although I sometimes think that it is her not processing stuff she's going to process later. In this case, I don't think that's the case. No, she's like, oh, I don't actually like Hiram. Great. Yeah. I'm done. I know that you guys don't like Hiram. I'm not saying Hiram is the most dynamic character in the show, but I like him. He's a nice guy. No, he seems nice. I don't understand why they had to go to a restaurant for him to break up with her. No, and it's like a very like romantic-y like flowers and a trellis kind of restaurant. Did he think she was going to start a scene? I think that's why you take someone to a public place to break up with them. Yeah. I don't think that being in public stops Ruth from causing a scene. Clearly, he doesn't know her that well. But I wish Egg was bisexual. I don't know if he is. <laughs> we can just assume that he is. Let's say he is. Yeah. It makes me like him a little better. It's canon. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like him a lot better than Nikolai. I will say that. Ruth doesn't have great taste in men. <laughs> she does not. I don't think it's a spoiler to say that Ruth's <laughs> taste in men Ruth's sucks. taste in men continues to be poor. Except for Nate Sr. So next, we're in the hospital Nate looks fabulous for someone who was just in a car accident. He has a he has a little band-aid on his head, which yeah. notably I believe is in the exact same spot where Lillian was donked by the golf ball. Oh, oh man. Brenda is in a hospital bed. She's fine. She has an insane head bandage. And they're very romantic with each other. Brenda apologizes for almost getting them killed. Yeah. And Nate admits that he prayed when Brenda was unconscious. And they are clearly not going to break up at this point, although it seemed like they were going to right before the car accident. Very Grey's Anatomy kind of moment. He says that if she wants to get married, he's all in. And I assumed that he was playing chicken because he assumes that she does not really want to get married. I think in this moment, he's like so happy that she's alive that he means it. Brenda's kind of like, I'm good. (laughs) I was just being crazy. I think he would regret it later. But I think in this moment, he genuinely is like, yeah, let's, let's fucking do it. I buy it. So, Mr. Kriegenthaler is back. Ugh, Walter. And his boner killing tendencies have not diminished. They've gotten louder, actually. Yeah. The deacons have been gathered. David and the deacons. David and the deacons. And we find out that the reason that the fax was sent was because Father Jack married two lesbians. Performed a commitment ceremony for two lesbians. This is uh, the pre- Yeah, they couldn't gay marriage. Days. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, he performed a commitment ceremony- and um, Marcus Foster is back. Yeah, this is the first time we've seen a ghost from a previous episode. Yeah. Who's not Nate Sr. Right. He has a Pennywise vibe in this episode. And his face is still super cut up and injured and bruised. Yeah, it feels like David's journey in this episode is kind of performing an exorcism. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly what I wrote down. I totally. used the word exorcism. So I went down another Google rabbit hole. Tell me. Um, because Walter Kriegenthaler mentions Ugh. the Lambeth Conference Resolution on Sexuality. Mm. So this is an Anglican thing, but apparently Episcopalianism is a branch of Anglicanism. Yeah, it's Anglican, because it's from the Church of England. So this Lambeth Conference, which happens in England, it's Anglican thing every 10 years. The last one the, before this episode was in 1998. And according to wikipedia.com, oh boy. the 1998 conference decided that homosexual practice is incompatible with scripture. That's a direct quote. That's um, what Mr. Kriegenthaler says. And it was very... It was like very dramatic. Like the group was really split on it. Um, There was a bishop from Nigeria who attempted to perform an exorcism, speaking of exorcisms, of the quote homosexual demons on Mm. a British priest. Yikes. Great. Who was part of the lesbian and gay Christian movement. So this was like very intense and a sort of like recent 
political thing that happened in the Anglican Church. My mother was raised Episcopalian before she converted to Catholicism, and now my parents mostly go to an Episcopal church where they have a cool lesbian priest, much like the priest that we met at the West Hollywood church. Mm -hmm. And so I have always sort of been like, Episcopalians are down with whatever, but I guess that's a very recent Yeah, it might have changed a later Lambeth conference. Yeah, maybe in 08. So David really stands up for gay people. And I'm then, super proud of David. I am too. It really took some guts to do that. And yeah. he doesn't even, he not he doesn't try to hold it in, but he's sort of like, I'm talking about this. Yeah. Like he, he, it doesn't take him that long into the conversation. So Mr. Kriegenthaler is basically like, you can pray the gay away. And David's like, uh, how would you know if you aren't gay? Basically is like, you gay buddy? What's going on? Yep. And Walter is like, are you gay? And David's like, yeah, I fucking am. Yeah, it's great. And Marcus's ghost is like smiling at him. Marcus's ghost is laughing at him. Yeah. yeah. Which I took to mean like, you think this is going to be enough, but this is not going to be enough. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You yeah. think that he would like disappear sort of in a yeah. cloud of smoke, but he does not. Mm-hmm. Mr. Kriegenthaler says, I think we should get the bishop involved, which this is just a very insane conversation. I seriously, I hate this dude so much. He's, oh, he's terrible. terrible. And the vote is split because if David can vote, then they would keep Father Jack. If David can't vote, then the vote is split. Well, the vote isn't whether to keep Father Jack. It's just whether Father Jack can perform these ceremonies, right? Oh, is it? Yeah. I was actually confused I wasn't on sure. that. Yeah, I don't think well. they're yeah. gonna. they were going to get rid of him either way. Oh, okay. I don't think they can get rid of him, but they can get the bishop involved to get rid of him. Yes. Yeah. So Tracy is back at the Fisher home. She wants to return the casket because she says there's a nick in the wood. Which there's definitely not. No, she's no. losing her mind. Um, R- Rico is basically like, not today, white lady Satan. <laughs> yes, her. I like Rico in this scene. I do too. Yeah. He offers to return the body to her. Yeah. Yeah. Because she also, we didn't mention this earlier, but in the scene with David in the intake, she didn't sign the contract. Oh, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Tracy is just her state of being is that she wants to speak to a manager. Yes. Um, so that is just like on full display here. In the next scene, Hiram calls Ruth and Claire kind of swoops in as her mom is talking to Hiram to say that she's staying with Parker. And Ruth is like, I haven't met Parker. And I'm like, here's the light parenting. <laughs> just the, just a dab of parenting. Yeah. She, in previous episodes, has been like, shrug, Claire didn't come home last night. I know. Is it because she doesn't have a boyfriend and she's like, I need something to do? I guess I'm going to parent? I mean, she's doing the, like, business she's doing in the kitchen throughout this episode. Like, later she's, like, scrubbing something and I don't know what it is. Oh, she doesn't have a job anymore. Yeah, she doesn't. So she's just, like, can you imagine, like, just the scouring marks in that kitchen? I want her to come over and clean my house. Right? (laughs) right. Um, So we're in Brenda's hospital room. And a very hot doctor comes in. Yeah. Like very like model-esque doctor. And, um, it's LA. <laughs> yeah. And he says like, oh, Nate, it's good you're here. I need to talk to you later in private. And Nate clearly thinks that he's has something that he wants to say about Brenda. Brenda, yeah. yeah. In the next scene, David and Father Jack have a gay drink and talk about being gay. Sort of. David is very like I am like flush with my righteousness and I'm on the same page with you and we're gonna like fight this battle and like take back the church for gay people and you know he says he's tired of being ashamed 
And Father Jack is like, hold on there, buddy. I do want to just rewind and just talk about the detail that the lesbian couple that Father Jack married, uh, one of the lesbians was his high school girlfriend. Yes. yes. I enjoyed that a lot. Which, which really I sweet. really like. Father Jack capitulated to the deacon crew. Um, he will not perform any more ceremonies for gay people. David is really sad about this. Yeah, David finds himself on the opposite side of the argument that he's been having with Keith for this entire season. Oh, 100%. Which is super interesting. Mm -hmm. And also, like, going back to the episode where there was the associate priest they were going to hire who was, Mm -hmm. like, in the Peace Corps, and David was, like, too liberal for me. And now David's, like... Now he's ready to fight. So David's pretty disappointed, and old Father Judas (laughs) does not want to get the bishop involved. He says... I'm tired of trying to make things better around here and never succeeding because of politics. Which is a big 2019 mood. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it really is. And David is like, you're gay. And Jack is like, no. I wrote down, Father Jack isn't gay, WTF. No, he is gay. And I want to say that I did text this afternoon with friend of the podcast, Eric Sheathar. Just about this moment. And he hadn't watched the episode recently, but Mm -hmm. we just talked a little bit about it. He was like, I don't think Alan Ball would put that in there if Father Jack wasn't actually gay. And he posited that it's possible that Father Jack does not identify as gay because he is celibate yeah. and mm. not actively having sex with men. That's a very fair point. Yes. Um, but I also think that we know he's gay because Marcus shows up the minute that he says he's not gay. And he's silent. And it's this moment where David is like, did I put myself on the line and like fight this battle for nothing? So in the next scene, Gabe and Claire go to Parker's mansion. Gabe is wearing my favorite look. Oh, the entire oh, season. It's real good. His it is. jacket has an eagle. I want that jacket so much. It is like this sick ass like denim military-ish jacket with this like hand embroidered like eagle design on the back. It's very cool. It's yeah, really like, good. Hands down my favorite garment of season one. And he's he's wearing it really well. So they're at Parker's big ass mansion, which is so clearly a house that the Six Feet Under location scout found. It has like no personality. It's like big, but there's like nothing. There's no decoration. It's big and everything is white. Yeah. I know these people are all supposed to be in high school. Everybody at this party looks like they're 39. I don't think they are supposed to be in high school. I think Parker has invited older people to the party. Oh, that's right. Because Parker likes hooking up with older guys. And she, and I think that they're just like, they're just like show business adjacent sleazes that she knows. (laughs) Doing coke in the other room. Yeah. Yeah. They finally find Parker and she's wearing the ugliest shirt I've ever seen, also from Express. And she's getting cozy with like a bald guy it's, in it's his mid to late thirties. It's not actually Pitbull, but it's Pitbull. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's a stunt man. I was um, so perplexed that Parker pretended she didn't know Gabe. <laughs> like that was the weirdest oh, power play. We did get confirmation that Gabe and Parker had sex. Yes. Yeah. So the next scene we have this is it the same doctor it's the same doctor so it's the hot, it's hot doctor, doctor is showing nate pictures of a brain the cat scans and he's he's pointing out areas that he's concerned by because there's decreased attenuation it's sure. basically something weird is happening with this brain and the doctor needs to do more to find out and nate is like oh like poor brenda's brain and the doctor's like uh dude this is your brain he is not married to Brenda. Why does he think a doctor would be consulting him on her brain scan? I mean, if this he, were like Mad he was Men, concussed would. yesterday. Yeah, so. that's true. I guess so yeah. I didn't take any notes on this scene because I was just so freaked out because I'm so freaked out that this will happen to me one day. Oh no! That like I will go to the hospital for something tiny and they'll be like, 
you're dying. Well, and I don't know if I have that as an active fear, but when Nate later talks about like, I get headaches sometimes and I just take Advil and they go away. I'm like, yeah. oh, Jesus. I know. I'm like, I do that too. Yeah, I was like, I have every symptom that he just said, except oh, no. for fluttering in my peripheral vision. I mean, Oof. I remember in college once I went to the like health center thinking I had like a brain tumor. I think because I had been watching Six Feet Under, oh, well, there actually, you go. and they were like, do you have allergies? And I was like, yeah. And they're like... This is a sinus headache. Um, I think this doctor's bedside manner kind of oh, sucks. It's horrible. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. So Parker is calling Ruth pretending to be her own yes. stepmother. And just like lying poorly on purpose. Yeah. Like she starts out with kind of realistic mom voice. And then Ruth is like, oh, is there alcohol there? And and Parker's like, oh, no, there isn't. Because, you know, Parker just got out of rehab. So then And we're alcoholics. Yeah, and we're alcoholics. And, and Claire's like, oh, Jesus. And Ruth, you, you got to know it's fake. I guess what? What is she going to do? Drive around trying to find Claire? There's no way to find Claire. Yeah, so. I think she knows it's fake. I don't know if she does know it's fake. Mm. And we also see next that Gabe invited his just nightmarish friends to this party. I wrote his two dick friends are by the pool. Yeah, can we also talk about, so I was also watching this on Amazon and it shows you the characters' names and his other friend who's not Andy is named Dink. Terrible. They're telling a story um, about how they stole beer from a 7-Eleven. They mood very loudly at this poor man who was working behind the counter at the 7-Eleven. They were doing beer cow. Beer I cow. hate this. Yeah. At the end of this description, Gabe like has idea face. This whole scene, I was like, does Gabe think this is funny? Or is Gabe being like, these people suck? Yeah, yeah. It's, that's true. And it is like something that I think the show is doing well is kind of being like, when you're in high school, you have limited people to choose from. And so... So, like, these are Gabe's friends, but, like, they just suck so hard, and he seems, like, goofy, and make, he makes bad decisions a lot, but he seems so much smarter than them. Yes. I think he sees a self-destructive slide he can go down, and he wants yeah. to go down it. That's true. So has Nate had another CAT scan that yeah. involved dye in yes. his brain? He has yes. contrast dye now. They can see more of what's going on in there. Would that happen like an hour later? I mean, if he was already there, I okay. guess why not? Because okay. like Brenda can't leave yet. So. Okay, this was part of because I was like, is this something that you would just do? I, I mean, don't know. Now you wouldn't because insurance would be so sure. impossible to navigate. This is what I was talking about when I was talking about the visuals that Alan Ball does as a director where it's like he's looking at his characters through a microscope mm -hmm. because there's this sort of like anxiety producing like high angle shot yeah. of the room and you just see like overhead and you see like Nate sitting alone waiting for the doctor to come yeah. in and it's all like for that for all the close-up we had of Brenda and Billy this is very like far away and for the whole scene where he's learning what's wrong with him yeah. the camera is super close on his face yes and that is true too panicked panicked eyes yeah this doctor's bedside manner continues Terrible. to blow. oh it's awful so we find out that Nate has an arterial venous malformation or an AVM, which is basically like Nate's worst fears made manifest. Yes. yes. Which is that he basically has like a ticking time bomb in his brain that might never go off or like could go give him today. like a stroke or kill him like tomorrow. Yeah. It is like the like the most existentially terrifying thing. So in the next scene, um, we go from existentially terrifying to having your mother drive you home from the hospital, uh, which is also existentially terrifying. <laughs> Ruth is driving Brenda and Nate. Uh, she's yelling that they didn't tell her. 
and uh, the ghost of Nate Sr. is there. Yeah. Yeah, I um, wondered if if now that Nate knows there's something wrong with his brain, if he's going to think he's hallucinating every time he sees um, Nate Sr. Interesting. Yeah, because the Fisher kids never go like, do you see dad? <laughs> like, they never, like, discuss it. Yeah, when the doctor asks if he sees a flutter at the corner of his eye, I'm like, by flutter, do you mean, like, various ghosts? <laughs> yeah. So we're back at the Parker party. Parker and Pitbull are making out. Again, Parker making very poor choices like she did with Sean Astin in the Outward Bound episode. But not as bad of a choice as we're going to get in the next scene. So Claire was looking for Gabe and we have found Gabe and we have found him robbing a convenience store. I cannot believe that he has a gun. It's got to be the gun that killed his brother, right? Oh. It has to be. Seriously, how how could you ever touch a gun after that? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, they're they're doing the moo thing at this liquor store with this poor guy, and then all of a sudden Gabe pulls a gun out of his pants mm-hmm. uh, and tells the cashier to moo, and his dick friends are like, uh, we did not sign up for this. Also, why did he have that on him going to the party? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. Like, he didn't know he was going to go rob a convenience store. I think he just wants to start shit. Yeah. Ugh. In the next scene, David and Keith are having coffee at a deli. David is basically unloading on Keith about all this, the trauma that's been happening at the church and how he's sick of hiding and he's sick of being ashamed. And Keith is looking at him like, where was this yeah. version of David, you know, two months ago? Keith does seem to be like in a good place with it. He yeah. seems really proud of David. David says he came out to Ruth and it was weird, but mm-hmm. his mom's always weird. And then we find out that Keith is still with Eddie. The way he says, I'm glad we've managed to remain friends. It's like he shuts him down so hard. Yeah, yeah. it really does. It hurt my soul. And then we see the ghost of Mark Foster again, and there's creepy, creepy music. Also, we should point out that the ghost throughout this episode has been the like beaten up yeah, and mangled yeah. ghost. So we're at the party, and now Nate Sr. is there with Claire trying to get her to do drugs. Yeah, they're Which, watching uh, kids like snorting coke in the kitchen or adults snorting coke. Yeah, in the I kitchen. think they're watching like thirty-five-year-olds. But uh, and I think you're right, Allison. That it really is her voice. Yeah, like he's really speaking in her voice here. Mm-hmm. Um, I super enjoy hearing Richard Jenkins say these lines. Yes, yes. And uh, Nate Senior's ghost says that he likes Gabe and that there's something about him. Yeah, Gabe arrives back from committing armed robbery. Claire hugs him. And her face is like, something happened. Because Gabe is super amped. Yeah. And like, he's like clinging to her yeah, in he this is. very intense way. Yeah. yeah. Then the doorbell is repeatedly ringing at the Fisher household again, which means it's Tracy. Um, she's yes. looking for David, who is not there. Nate is there. Yes. She starts freaking out about the casket again. Uh, this is actually, I think, my Heaven Can't Night. I do have a Heaven Can't Night here. here. Yes. Yeah. Nate clocks that she hasn't signed the contract yet so that she could, you know, at the last minute be like, I was dissatisfied and not have to pay at all. Right. So he's trying to bully her into signing the contract, but it's clearly about him and his news. He screams at her about how she should be thanking her stars that she's alive thanking and Thanking her fucking stars. Yeah. The, my heaven can't Nate is actually not the contract aspect because I do think she should sign the contract. Yes. It's the, and I, I don't mind that he's getting a little like bitchy with her about it. It's when he starts to be like, 
you should be glad you're not roaming the streets of Calcutta and and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's not what he says, but he's basically he like, did, you yeah. should be so happy you're blah, blah, And I'm like, okay, reel this back, pal. This like, is not what okay. was that even in reference to? I don't know. I guess maybe it might be him talking to himself and being like, your life could still be a lot worse, yeah. which it could. Yeah. Tracy is being a nightmare, obviously, but she's also mourning. So next we have Nate Sr. in a wig taking a Super 8 recording of Claire. And it is a fantasy. Yeah, they're both dressed in 70s clothes. It's supposed to be, I think, actually not when she was little. But but when when, the the other other boys boys were were little. little. Yeah. And Claire is basically like, it's too little, too late. And then uh, Nate Sr. says that Gabe is heading to his neck of the woods real soon. So when she wakes up... She's with Gabe on the also, couch. Also, it's the middle of the day. Who goes to sleep at a party in I, the middle of the day? I wrote down how long is this party? Like maybe they just got really drunk and fell asleep or stoned. But I don't think anyone's, oh, they might be stoned. Yeah. It's really weird. So next we have Nate running away from death, even though the doctor told him he couldn't until he got cleared for it. Yeah, he's very he's basically take that death. testing the limits of himself. Yeah. He's running hard. Like yes. he's yeah. so much harder than normal. Yeah. And then Ruth is back at the flower shop. Nikolai has been drinking all night. This is Sunday morning. I'm just dealing with this now. But she got fired on Friday. Has he been drinking for, for two days? Well, here's the thing that's confusing is that it's Father's Day. Why aren't they open? Yeah. It's a little weird. I don't think that Nikolai is a good businessman. Nikolai just generally sucks. I'm very not into him in this scene. No. Nikolai is pretty much like, you love the D. (laughs) He's kind of like a woman like you needs this certain thing. And that I hope that other man gives it to you. And I don't know if we're supposed to think this is romantic, but it seems like something you'd see on 4chan. My notes literally just say, ugh, gross, stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's accurate. And she's really into it. And she starts making out with him. So then we're in church. And Father Jack is talking about truth and boldness and the irony is lost on not me. (laughs) And then David goes up to give his reading. He starts reading from Psalm 31. Um, In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Um, I just called this the ironic devotional. (laughs) (laughs) And then David has a moment in front of the congregation. I had to watch this scene twice because I wasn't sure how much of it was a fantasy. I think only the clapping is a fantasy. Yeah, I think so too. You're right, though. It's really smart that there there is like an aspect of it where you're like, is he just imagining that he's doing this? Yeah, at first I wasn't mm-hmm. sure if Keith was really there. Yeah. We've seen throughout the series that a lot of David's fantasies revolve around him being like accepted by like the community. Yeah. Yes. Like the part where, you know, where he's he's dancing with Kurt and he imagines everybody clapping yeah. When, yeah. when they kiss. This is what he's been wanting is to not just like accept this identity within himself, but to be accepted for it because mm-hmm. he wants to be yeah. in the mainstream. He refers to bigots and Mr. Kriegenthaler's mouth shrinks three sizes this day. <laughs> he just like sucks his own lips into his face. Yeah. And Keith and Eddie are there also super into it. He, he just basically gives this big sort of like Mr. Holland's opus speech yeah. um, about, you know, how he doesn't want to be ashamed. And he grew up thinking he was unworthy. Again, like wrapping up his season arc of like, he's saying like, 
I thought that God would be ashamed of me, but I really didn't have faith that God is love and God would love me for the people I love is basically what he says. And this is the exorcism that works. Yeah, finally. So David throughout the season has always been wearing suits, always been wearing a white shirt. And I noticed in this scene when he's giving his speech and kind of bearing his heart, he's wearing like this light blue shirt and like this pattern tie. And it's amazing like how much different, like how much softer it makes him. What a hippie. And it's a really good little costuming choice i thought yeah at the end of the scene we see marcus's ghost again and he has a completely clean non-smashed face yeah yes yeah and in he the looks courtyard. happy he, he thanks, says thank you yeah he yeah. thanks david oh, does he mm-hmm. oh people are congratulating david after church and not in the like riotous clapping way but in a kind of like nice to see you good job like the, it's a nice vibe and eddie and keith are there and they invite david to go get brunch with them and go see a movie yeah Yeah. david turns them down and you can tell it's because david is like clearly still really in love with he doesn't want to be in this like friendship throuple yeah so what i gather and then we like confirm in the next scene is that ruth did skip church to fuck nikolai which is relatable (laughs) (laughs) my notes definitely say good lord did ruth just have sex in the flower shop where on the table with like eight question marks after it i think it was on the ground with like thorns everywhere no i think it was on the ground i hate everything about this they're getting dressed nikolai wants to have brunch which is also relatable (laughs) and ruth says i will be your friend and your lover but i will never be your wife and nikolai's immediately like i bet i can change your mind terrible she looks beautiful. Oh, she looks so good. Her hair's down. She's holding like a white rose. She's talking about how she'll be a lover. It's great. Yeah. So next, we're finally at Lillian's, Aunt Lillian's funeral. Um, Nate is there taking care of business. David comes in and is like, hey, mom told me about the accident. And I was like, oh, should have texted <laughs> David. Maybe. I don't know. This is weird. I, I assume that Nate did not tell Ruth or anybody about the brain scan stuff. No. Right? no. So he okay. has not said anything to anybody. This is something he's not going to tell people. He's not getting yet. into it's it. Just confirming. David thanks Nate for staying in L.A. and says it's been really fun having him there. Yeah. It's so sweet. David is free now. I know. I love David's arc in this season. Me too. It's great. Oh. It's, it's it's perfect. Michael C. Hall has just done such extraordinary work. And this moment is lovely. Rico bounces to go to this christening. And then he's the one, right, who tells him that Tracy... Tracy's upstairs. Tracy's upstairs crying. Yeah. Upstairs in their home. In their home. Which is not part of the funeral home. I but don't, she'd totally do that. This is where I have a heaven can't Nate. Do you have a heaven can't Nate here? I do. Is it when he says he will punch Tracy? Actually not. Oh, mine is that he says he's going to punch Tracy. I don't like it. Oh, that to me just felt like, a, like you know, I'm going to kill her. Like, it didn't. I, it just felt like a light misogyny that I didn't need. No, mine's later in the scene. Oh, okay. I don't have any heaven can't Nates in this scene. I'm so curious. Nate finds Tracy in the house. She has like a monologue about aunt lillian i really like this monologue it's wonderful this whole season this character has been like comic relief yeah and somebody to be sort of like disgusted and roll your eyes at and this is like where we see this like veil lifted where she's like i'm really sad aunt lillian was the only person who ever really loved me my parents my husband didn't love me and we find out about aunt lillian's like tragic backstory yeah her daughter died on her 17th birthday in a car accident tracy says she's always felt alone but she's just discovering there's this whole new level and I felt like that was 
very similar to what Nate is feeling. Like he's always feared death and now he's discovering that there's this whole new level. Yeah. And she asks Nate why people have to die. And Nate says to make life important. Which is like a very iconic six feet under moment. Yes. And Tracy admits that she's a funeral crasher because she loves Harold and Maude. I know. It makes me like her so much I know. I've only seen that movie once. I don't remember it super well. I love Harold and Maude. Um, I think you would like Harold and Maude. Tracy tries to move her affections to Nate from David, like transfer them to another Fisher brother. And here's my heaven can't Nate. Do it. Tracy says, are you married? And Nate says, sort of. No, you're not. Yeah. I thought it was cute. I actually just, didn't mind that. I just say you're in a relationship. I know. It It was, that was like very much a thing that a person would not say. And that is like a thing a writer wanted to put in there. If like, you say you're sort of married, that means you're married and you're separated from your spouse. Yes. A hundred percent. He wants to say, I am emotionally committed. Say, I have a girlfriend. I don't have as much of a problem with that as you. I actually loved that moment and thought it was really cute. <laughs> I don't know. We're, I just, we're having a whole round table here. I just here. hated it and I don't know why. That's fair. No, I yeah, get yeah, it. Yeah. I get it. The funeral's over and the Diaz family is there for the christening. Vanessa's like, does that dead lady have to be there? Girl, you're getting a free party at a funeral home. But it's very symbolic to take the dead body out of the room and then fill up the room with kids and I joy know. and yes. and food and life. It's just like life I'm just and annoyed death. about this party because it was gotten in such a terrible way. With it's Rico true. Rico sucking, but it's not Vanessa's fault. I, I agree. The party is really fun. David's holding a gusto who has a very cute little hat. Yeah, because he can finally see this life for himself. So I now know. he can hold the baby. It's wonderful. Yeah. Nate is sort of like watching all this of this. This is, yeah, this is all viewed through Nate's eyes with Thomas Newman music. Yeah. Like extreme Thomas Thomas Newman music playing. He's seeing all of his family, at least on the surface, being happy. He's seeing Ruth talking to Brenda. And Claire and Gabe are smiling and kissing. And, Why is you know. Gabe at this christening party for a baby he doesn't know? It's fine. I know he's there. Claire and, just brings him everywhere. Yeah, he's just everywhere. But it's just funny that he's like, what's going on over here? It's her security, Gabe. Nate's just like enjoying it and then Brenda comes over to him and they say I love you and it's lovely and then you see that Nate Sr. is on the stairs talk to me about this does this feel like it's not one of them it's no. not a fisher no no it feels like the ghost is being it's autonomous actually for the him. first time yeah yes. yeah it feels well I thought it was a really cool these layers of watching because we see Nate watching the party yeah almost as if he is a ghost and then we see Nate Sr. watching Nate, yeah. watching the party. Yeah. yeah. And we're watching all of it. And we're watching all of Sorry. it. Sorry. Galaxy brain shit. But it felt, like, yes, it felt like it does end on kind of a hopeful note, even though there's like clearly scary shit to come for Nate and for Gabe. And it felt like Nate Sr. had not been summoned by any one Fisher, but by all of no, them. No, yeah, totally. Yes. Or by yeah. like the house. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this is a trend with early mid 2000s HBO shows is that the penultimate episode, there's a lot happening. Not that there wasn't a lot happening in this episode, but that there is like a gentler feel to it. Mm-hmm. So let's do two grades. Let's grade the episode and then let's grade the season, season one. Yeah. All right. You go first because I feel like I always go first with the grade. Okay. I give the episode an A minus. Mm-hmm. I think it's a really great episode. I gave Private Life last week an A, and it doesn't rise quite to the heights of Private Life, Mm -hmm. but I think it's a really excellent episode. I hate the Nikolai stuff, I guess is probably where my minus is coming in. The the Love Triangle stuff is not interesting to me, but I think it's a a really great episode, and it's really well-directed, and the writing is just really good. I actually, like, especially after Private Life, which I loved... I thought this episode wasn't as good. Hmm. 
um i would probably give it like a b to a b plus okay that's what i said too yes because it is it's a little like i think you mentioned that alan ball is kind of sentimental yeah and i and i got that feeling like it's funny because i always think of the show as like alan ball's show but he only wrote the first and last episodes of this season Mm -hmm. and a lot of the stuff he did is the stuff where i'm like oh this is actually some of the stuff about six feet under that gets on my nerves sometimes oh that's interesting i think i knocked it down also to b plus because claire had nothing to do in this episode she was just with gabe the whole time she's wearing that shirt everything that was interesting was about gabe no, but she has the good stuff with Nate Senior. Yeah, but it's yeah. like love that. a total of 20 seconds of screen time. I, I know. I guess it is like it was a different time, but it doesn't yeah. actually feel like a season finale usually feels to me. Yeah, it ends on like a very minor cliff, like not a minor cliffhanger emotionally, but just like what's going to happen with Nate now that his worst fear is realized. And the thing that's so fascinating, we'll talk about the season grade, but the thing about this season, it's David's season. Mm-hmm. Nate mm-hmm. feels like a real kind of side player after the first few episodes. Yeah. And no spoilers, but in future seasons, he will have so much more to do. But it's really interesting how much, like, actually, this is Michael C. Hall's kind of season. Yeah. And it feels like this is actually the beginning of Nate's true art. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yes, um, absolutely. But they actually they were both nominated for best actor in the 2001 emmys well that's i mean that makes sense that's good so how about the season oh yeah i'm gonna give it a b plus yeah i think i'd agree i would also give it a b plus highs highs and lows but some the highs were super high Mm -hmm. yeah i was i feel the same way that you said about one episode that you wish there was something between a b plus and an a minus yeah 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 so Mm -hmm. i will give it a 90 great great (laughs) yeah It's a really solid because like some shows the first season is like the best season and some shows the first season is like, oh, you can skip that. This is not the best season of Six This is under. not the best season, but it is a really good season. Oh, yeah. But there's some more more 2K. But it found its feet immediately. Yes. Yes. So super true. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think it was doing a lot of stuff that other shows weren't doing at the totally. time. Specifically with gay representation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you listeners for staying with us for this first season yeah thanks for coming along this ride with us it's been really fun um we're both new to podcasting and Mm -hmm. i feel like we've all grown alongside you made a lot of friends along the way that we can't see or hear thanks so much and thank you allison thank you for yes all that you do thanks for letting me hang out on the side of the mic it's amazing oh it's so fun allison i mean makes this show fucking happen yeah you guys don't do not hear what gets cut and it is it needs to be cut so it's (laughs) it's great that you don't you don't hear it for links to everything we talked about today and more information about us visit our website at notoversfu.com if you liked the show please subscribe tell a friend about it and leave us a rating or a review on itunes apple Podcasts, stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts it helps people find the show You can write to us at notoversfu at gmail.com or give us a shout on Twitter at notoversfu. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Caroline, at carolinevmcgee. And you can find me, Jenna, at secondhusk. You can find me, Allison, at allison underscore cherry. That's one L in Allison. If you'd like to check out my books, visit my website at allisoncherrybooks.com. Our theme song was written by Matt Berger and Melissa Lusk. Our logo was designed by Caitlin Trishiani. We're going to take a short break before we begin season two, but we'll be back in your feed later this fall with all kinds of exciting special guests. Until then, be like Andy and Dink and Muda Cashier. 
Moo. Moo.